Warning, The Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Symbolic, symbolic, symbolism, metaphor, metaphors, symbolism. This whole thing with uh, Meghan Markle, the soapbox uh, queen, and uh, the fake war hero, Andrew, I don't even know his name. What's his name, the the guy with the red hair? Harry, 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 Harry. It's a symbol of the death of the West. It's the entire edifice of the West come crumbling down, you know, all fall down. If ever you wanted a metaphor, a better metaphor for the collapse of of the West... As we know it, it would be these two characters. But then again, I get ahead of myself and behind myself, and I don't want to talk about it. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Phone number is 855 I'm going to take you on a ride today and uh, where we start and where we end the two different things. I want to begin with a few of the tweets from the weekend. I went to see the movie 1917. I generally like great war dramas. I thought I would like this because I've been studying World War I for many years. And here's my tweet. 1917, was I supposed to like this relentless display of the horrors of trench warfare? The plot, copied from Saving Private Ryan, is thin. Felt like being in a Coney Island horror train for kids. Well, so we all know war is hell. Why would anyone sit through this anti-war comic strip? Okay, now a lot of you disagreed with me and agreed with me. Don't waste your money. And what's interesting is is after I wrote that, I went and looked up reviews. You know, you have to have guts to make a statement in this world to begin with. And you have to have guts to believe in what you see and what you say, which is what I've done for a quarter of a century. And yet this movie, 1917, oh, they loved it. Golden Globes, they loved it, loved it, loved it. Classic Hollywood anti-war dreck. So I said, am I the only one who saw through it? And I looked up... Some reviews, and I'm going to read them to you. Nick Pinkerton, Film Comment Magazine, said, Technical brio cannot redeem all that is callow and crass in Mendez's movie. The dialogue is pure placeholder stuffing. The approach, a clumsy collision of the Assassin's Creed video games and Elam Kimov's Come and See. Pete Vonderhaar in the Houston Press, I once said Houston Press, <laughs> I almost said Hooters Press, in the Houston Press, that's Houston, Texas. Uh, by relying on technique over most everything else, Mendez takes the focus from the characters where it truly belongs. Lewis Project, Counterpunch, says, a rancid propaganda film with video game aesthetics. See, some people can see things for what they are. Let's see what else. Michael Caleri, Niagara Gazette, says the movie is weakened by two elements. The first is that following Schofield and Blake falters because neither young man is particularly interesting or has a good story backing up his character. Bingo, bingo, bingo. And then next one says Donovan Farley, Willamette Week, says creatively conceived and beautifully executed in 1970s and affecting an intense entry into the pantheon of war movies. I disagree with him. Next, uh, New Statesman Ryan Gilby. Audiences should be absorbed by the physical challenges inherent in the soldier's mission are likely to be thinking instead of the technical ones faced by the filmmakers. You see that? See that one? A couple of more of 1917. Uh, Walter Chaw, film freak. Making a hollow spectacle of war is ignoble. Sometimes it's dangerously irresponsible. That is like a fortune cookie. That's like a fortune cookie. Sean Burns of the A-R-T-E-R-Y says, it's cinema as a VR headset with all the expressive qualities of the art replaced by a dull literal mindedness, a quote unquote immersive trip into unconvincing verisimilitude that makes a lousy substitute for drama. I wasn't alone. I wish I had sat in the movies with these guys because I left after 15 minutes. We could have gone out for a beer and pizza. So I left. That's all. End of story. Now, I'm not just going to talk about the movie, man. Most of you probably haven't seen it. But I, since I do news, views, and reviews for all these years on radio, this was a review. 
And that's the end of that one. Then yesterday I got pissed off at Chris Wallace, who I've always despised, uh, for a number of reasons. I don't like his sneer primarily. The snotty, the snide, the sneer, the liberalism, the snake. So I tweeted this. Chris Wallace is a snake, a snide, shallow, hollow man, always trying to escape his father's legacy, which was not magnificent to begin with. A carbon copy of a carbon copy of a true investigative reporter. Now, that's a good summary of snide Chris Wallace. Got a lot of responses on that one. But as I was reviewing what people said about it, my, my tweet, that is, somebody said at least his father, uh, Mike Wallace, interviewed Aldous Huxley in 1958, and you have to see. Well, we went and looked it up, and the, the wonderful team I have, Jim Verde, Robert Borowski, Doug Lynn, they went and dug together up. They dug it up for me. The actual interview from 1958 of one of the great authors of all time, Aldous Huxley. You may know him from his novel, Brave New World. Maybe you know him from other novels. I was so enamored of his writing that I read every book he ever wrote and every article he ever wrote. I went to England, as a matter of fact, when I was still able to go there. And I went into some great library in London and I found magazine articles that Huxley had written on furniture, of all things, and on architecture. You know, when you fall in love with an author, you read everything they write. Do you know that or not? I did. And I came out actually in enjoying him more than ever. His brother was also a brilliant man. Julian Huxley was a biologist, brilliant family. But Huxley uh, predicted things about the time we are living in, in that 1958 interview by Mike Wallace. And in a strange way, it ties into what I was trying to talk about last Friday on civilization and its discontents. If you missed that show, which was titled... I wouldn't say wrongly because it was a subtitle in a way, but we couldn't squeeze it all in on the podcast. The title of the podcast of my Friday show is not exactly ex exactly accurate in some ways, but there's only so much you could put on it. And what we put on that podcast, the title was uh, Suicide and Violence in America. But the, the lead-in statement was actually more interesting, which was Civilization and His Discontents by Freud and how it relates to suicide and violence in America if you missed that show, you can get it at michaelsavage.com or any of the other podcast sites. And I, I highly recommend it. It's a very important show from my point of view. Of course, the show before that was Prince Harry Married Down and Ruined His Life. That seems to be more, more intensely interesting to the average listener than anything else. This Harry and Megan thing uh, just won't go away no matter what you do. There's no way to get them out of your hair. I mean, they're really boring at a certain point. I'm not a Kardashian lover. I hate reality television. I hate the people in reality television. I think they're all snide, swinish bores, as a matter of fact. And uh, I wish that they would just go away, but they don't go away. They make more and more of them. Now let's go to michaelsavage.com, home of the Borders, Language, and Culture website. Let's see what may be of interest to you. U.S. sending home nearly two dozen Saudi cadets after shooting. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? After the Saudis shot up the airbase, uh, we have more of them here. Well, finally, we woke up and we're sending them out of the country. As far as I'm concerned, we should send all the foreigners off our military bases before another shooting. Then here's a sick moment here, shocking moment. A man tries to snatch a girl six from a mom's lap and is taken down by her entire family. They grab the guy by the hair and throw him out of the... I couldn't believe this picture. The men stood up. Here's a, a guy comes up to a family and tries to grab a six-year-old girl and says, I have to save her. Another homeless madman who belongs in a mental hospital along with Charles Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. The family doesn't ask for the police. They grab the homeless man by the hair and yank him and throw him out. Of, it's unbelievable. Here's another nice one for those of you who are fooled by yoga instructors and vegans. Yoga instructor beats up moviegoer over phone use. Yeah, yeah, another long hair yoga instructor beats up moviegoer over phone use, beats him up in the theater. Watch out for the peaceniks. They're the most violent people on the planet. Virginia Democrats propose law blocking cops' active military from carrying guns. Good luck. Pelosi, the, the lunatic. No matter what happens in the Senate, Trump will be impeached forever. No, Nancy, you've been impeached forever. You'll go down in history as the craziest person in the history of the United States Congress. And on and on, here's another story. Liz Warren, the communist troll, 
says she is willing to ban construction of new homes and ban energy mining or drilling. Can they just ban Elizabeth Warren and send her back to Harvard where she can just keep lying to the poor kids? Post-Christendom and the return of paganism in the West, it's an intellectually appealing article from a Catholic magazine, the National Catholic Register. And it discusses what's happened after Christianity was destroyed or crucified. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Christianity is being crucified in the West by by the left, as you know. And the the first post-Christian generation has emerged in America. A majority of the so-called drug-addicted Generation Z, all Americans born between 1999 to 2015, rejects the idea of a religious identity. Okay? And as a result... Not only do they not believe in God, they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in the country. They don't believe in anything. And as a result of that, this alarming generation uh, has descended upon us. And it results from a long process that started in the 18th century and became dominant in the hippie 1960s. Long article, worth reading. It's linked up on michaelsavage.com for those of you who are so disposed to wanting to get behind uh, the subject. Talk about the death of the West. Girls thought they were in a relationship with a teen boy. It was a woman grooming them for sex. How do you like that one? Hmm. Dems silent on Iran protests as demonstrators blame the Iranian regime, not Trump, for the plane crash. The Dems are the enemy within. The Dems are working for the other team. The Dems are the enemy. The Dems are the enemy. Uh, British troops disgusted at Prince Harry over med exit war hero claims. He's not a war hero. What else? Baltimore defendant throws metal water pitcher, strikes judge in the head after receiving a life term. Nice looking fella. If you want to take a look at his uh, mugshot, we specialize in getting mugshots of perps on michaelsavage.com. Now, here's an article that should disturb everyone listening to the show. There's a medical journal named Lancet. It used to be one of the, 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 it was the, the sterling silver example, the gold standard of medical journals. Over the last decade, it's been taken over by psychotic left-wing fanatics. And then they let the psychotics take over the medical journal. And now they've posted an article in it. The only way to stop racism is to eliminate whiteness altogether. This is in a medical journal talk about the death of the west when i come back here on the savage nation i have a real treat for me i hope it's a treat for you the guys put together a phenomenal couple of segments for us on aldous huxley predicting the world that we are living in now again it's not just brave in the world with the alphas betas gammas and deltas we know who the deltas are that would be occasional cortex that would be rashida talib that would be that group. These, those are the deltas out of Brave New World who think that they're the alphas, but they're lower than the, de- the, the betas, lower than the deltas. They're actually the gammas. And the gammas are the loudest in the crowd. And so uh, here's what I promised you. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, predicted the world we live in, drugs, brainwashing, tech fascism, to be discussed today on the Savage Nation radio program with original sound of Aldous Huxley right here on the Savage Seminar in Advanced Political Science. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. You know, there's a lot for investors to be optimistic about these days. We've been riding the longest and best stock market run since World War II. The S&P is up over 400% since March 09. But what about you? Have your accounts more than quadrupled in the past decade? The sad truth is that most stock investors don't achieve the same performance as the overall market, leaving two-thirds of Americans still feeling like they'll have to work after retirement. So who's really profiting from all these massive gains? What would you do if you knew that the big banks and institutions tend not to follow the same advice that they give you? And what if you could learn where they buy, sell, and make profit? Uh Uh-huh. Well, take the first step by signing up for a free introductory class with Online Trading Academy. You'll find out more about our patented investing strategy designed to help you trade with the skills and confidence of the pros. This year, I want you to put financial education 
on top of your New Year's resolution list. Okay, so here it is. Visit otatrade.com slash savage. That's otatrade.com slash savage. And you're going to get two free tickets to a class in your area and get a professional insider's kit just for going to these seminars. And they're free. You got it? Write it down. otatrade.com slash savage. otatrade.com slash savage. And start knowing what the insiders do today. That's otatrade.com slash savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. It is the uh, Savage Nation. Uh, It's your show, not mine. I lead this show, but it's your show. It's called Talk Radio. And you have to call and tell me, of all the subjects I raised, which one do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to discuss? Huxley? The death of the West? Uh, Any of the other topics? Uh, There are many topics. 855-407-282. Holly in California, line one. Go ahead. You're on the air. Michael, you know, I have a son that recently told me that Japanese eat Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Eve as a tradition, and I I was like, what? Kentucky Fried Chicken? So I looked it up, and sure enough, they do, because Japan is largely an atheist nation, which I had no idea. And, you know, the things that we are afraid of happening in this country, like the parallel of the decline of society with the decline of religion, Japan is largely educated, they're polite, they're courteous to one another— and they're largely atheists. What would you think about that? Well, what do you ask me? What do I think about what? What part of what you said? You said a lot of different things about eating fried chicken on Christmas Eve. I mean, I, I, I would try it. I don't know. I mean, it sounds good to me. Well, I mean, I just feel like we <laughs> hinge so much on religion, like keeping America moral and keeping it upstanding. And Japan's largely atheist, but I feel like they're a very upstanding community. So, well, wait, wait. You, you, you're overly ge- you're overgeneralizing in such a great manner; it's hard to believe. I have been to Japan twice, and uh, it was a long time ago. I'll admit it. Japan is not this this homogenous, great idealized society that you that you're creating. Uh, I think you need to go. Have you been there? Maybe you've been there, and I don't know you have. No, I haven't. I haven't. I was surprised to find out when I read about it that they're atheists and they eat Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas. <laughs> well, maybe you ought to try not going to church, even for a wedding or a funeral, and eating fried chicken that night. I don't know. Maybe it'll work for you. See, I, it, it's too risky here to generalize and say uh, that that's a wonderful thing. I don't think Japan is a wonderful thing, a wonderful society necessarily you have to go there to see first of all they have a homeless problem that you never see they sweep it under the rug did you know that i didn't yeah see and i'm talking a long time ago when i went to the first time there were no homeless the second time they were all over tokyo they hide their problems the japanese are very good at sweeping their problems under the rug so I don't know that they're a great model for the world. They've lost all of their grounding in their past and in their Shinto religion, by the way. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Well, welcome back to this Savage Nation. I want to go to Aldous Huxley, Brave in the World, where he predicted the world we live in. Many of you read Brave in the World in high school or college and kind of dismissed it. Uh, I wouldn't be that dismissive. In 1958, Mike Wallace, who was the father of, uh, I called him Meatball, and the junior, Meatball Jr. is Chris Wallace, the snide, sneering one. But at least Wallace did occasionally a good show. He did. He was a good interviewer. And he interviewed Aldous Huxley in 58, and he asked Huxley, as you see it, who and what are the enemies of freedom here in the United States? In other words, he was, it was a leading question. Huxley didn't take the bait. And he said, I don't think you can say who in the United States. Uh, I don't think there are any sinister persons that are deliberately trying to rob people of their freedom, he said. But he said there are a number of technological devices which anybody who wishes to use can use to accelerate the process of of, of going away from freedom of imposing control. Here is Aldous Huxley in his own words in 1958 in H1. As you see it, who and what are the enemies of freedom here in the United States? Well, I don't think you can say who in the United States. I don't think there are any 
sinister persons deliberately trying to rob people of their freedom. But I do think, uh, first of all, that there are a number of impersonal forces which are pushing in the direction of less and less freedom. And I also think that there are a number of technological devices which anybody who wishes to use can use to accelerate this process of going away from freedom, of imposing control. Hmm. Was that ever was that ever uh, correct? Technological devices. So what was he talking about in 1958? Television, radio, but mainly television at that time. Remember, the computer wasn't really readily available to the average person. God only knows what he would have thought of children walking around with iPhones in their cribs, right? In H2, he talks about technology as it becomes more and more complicated. Let's hear that one. Well, another force which I think is very strongly operative in this country is the force of what may be called over-organization. Uh, as technology becomes more and more complicated, it becomes necessary to have more and more elaborate organizations, more hierarchical organizations. And incidentally, the advance of technology has been accompanied by an advance in the science of organization. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. And so that you have more and more people living their lives out as subordinates in these hierarchical systems controlled by bureaucracies, either the bureaucracies of big business or the bureaucracies of big government. You hear this? Now, he refers in the next clip, this is Aldous Huxley in 1958, interviewed by Mike Wallace, about Hitler and how Hitler used uh, technology and terror to get where he was. Listen to H3. Well, there are certainly devices which can be used in this way. I mean, let us uh, take, uh, after all, a piece of very recent and very painful history is the uh, propaganda used by Hitler, which was incredibly effective. I mean, that, what were Hitler's methods? Hitler used terror on the one kind, brute force on the one hand, but he also used a very efficient uh, form of, uh, of propaganda, which uh, uh, he was using every modern device at that time. He didn't have TV, but he had the the radio, which he used to the fullest extent, mm -hmm. and was able to uh, impose his will on an immense mass of people. I mean, the Germans were a highly educated people. Mm. The Germans were a highly educated people. That, of course, is one of the great tragedies of civilization, which is that probably the most advanced civilization on the earth at the time, the, the German people, and incredible music and art, and science became the most terrible on the planet because they used advanced technology to kill people, especially in the, the killing machines of the death camps. Uh, it's amazing what happened in that country at that time. He then talks about the communist countries in a clip. Let's jump to H5, Robert, please. Listen to this one. Well, at present, the television, I think, is being used uh, quite harmlessly. It's being used, I think, uh, I would feel it's being used too much to distract everybody all the time. But, I mean, imagine, which must be the situation in all communist countries, where the television, where it exists, is always saying the same thing the whole time. It's always driving along. It's not creating a wide front of distraction. It's creating a one-pointed uh, drumming in of a single idea all the time. It's obviously an immensely powerful instrument. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, and CNN always saying the same thing the whole time without mentioning the T word? It's around the clock propaganda against the president of the United States. This is absolutely an example uh, of that. Now, what about pharmacology? Remember in the late 50s, the psychoactive chemicals that most of you are on today didn't exist. What drugs were women and men on? in the 50s. If a person was nervous or anxious, they probably took a type of Milltown or Librium called a meprobamate, which was very similar to the, the phenobarbital type of drugs. And many housewives were hooked on a meprobamate or Milltown or Librium, and they would down it with a glass of wine. They were stoned most of the time. Not many, quite a few. You don't know that. But that was about it. Then there were the bennies being given out by... Um, uh, diet doctors in New Jersey and other places to the to the wives who felt they were uh, didn't look like Marilyn Monroe. 
Uh, so they were hooked on, on Benzedrine, and they were psychotic from that. But the kind of drugs that Americans are on today were not even conceptualized at that time. The SSRIs, for example, for good and for bad, for better or for worse, they can be life-saving, don't get me wrong. They can make people's lives tolerable where they're intolerable. But there's been a lot of homicides and suicides tied to these SSRIs as an unexpected side effect of constantly playing with the serotonin levels in a person's brain. So Huxley predicted the pharmacology that was coming in clip six. Listen to this. And I think it's quite on the cards that we may have drugs which will profoundly change uh, our mental states uh, without doing us any harm. I mean, this is the, the pharmacological revolution which has taken place, that we have now powerful mind-changing drugs, which, physiologically speaking, are almost costless. I mean, they are not like opium or like coca, uh, cocaine, which uh, do change the state of mind, but uh, leave terrible results physiologically and morally. Hmm. Did you hear that little piece about cocaine? That's 1958 now, in an interview by Mike Wallace, who was a phenomenal interviewer, incidentally. Let us see what he says in number seven about drugs. I want to hear that one. In regard to the use of the, of the drugs, we know there's enough evidence now for us to be able, on the basis of this evidence, and using a certain amount of creative imagination, to foresee the kind of uses which could be made in a... Uh, by people of bad will with these things, uh, and to attempt to to forestall this. And in the same way, I think with these other methods of uh, propaganda, we can foresee and we can do a good deal to forestall. I mean, after all, um, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. The price of freedom, my friends, of the savage nation is eternal vigilance. That's certainly not his original statement, but he saw what was coming. Not finally for the day, but finally for this segment. In, uh, I believe in, in clip seven, he talks about drugs again. Let's hear, did we play seven? Yes. So let's go to number eight. I think this is a great one. Now, I, I think what, what is going to happen in the future is the dictators will find, as the old saying goes, that you can do everything with bayonets except sit on them. That if you want to preserve your power indefinitely, you have to get the consent of the ruled. And this they will do, partly by drugs, as I foresaw in, uh, in Brave New World, partly by these uh, new techniques of, uh, uh, of propaganda. They mm -hmm. will do it by bypassing the sort of rational side of man and appealing to his uh, subconscious and his uh, deeper emotions and uh, his physiology even. Mm -hmm. And so making him actually love his slavery. I mean, I think this is the danger, that actually people may be in some ways happy under the new uh, regime, but they will be happy in situations where they oughtn't to be happy. You hear? Happy as slaves. Happy little slaves. All because of brainwashing and the use of drugs. Now, if you read Brave in the World in high school or college, which many of you uh, have read, you remember the society was being... Uh, created in laboratories. I, I loved that when I first read it in high school. God, did it revolutionize my thinking. And uh, they would alter the embryo and the development of the embryo with outside influences, whether they be a chemical or through stimuli. And, and they could then create the uh, zygote that they wanted and it could emerge into the human that they wanted, whether it would be an alpha uh, human that would be born, meaning the highest level of intellect that would be running the society, or the beta, or the delta, or the gamma, uh, and the others. And it was amazing to read how he foresaw uh, the future of the world. Now, have we gotten to the alpha, beta, delta, and gamma? I think when you listen to some of the dumbest people in the history of the world in Congress, you have to say to yourself, how did so many uh, deltas and gammas wind up in Congress. You have to ask yourself that question. The answer is, take a look at the districts they're in. They're largely non-English speaking, yes, I will say it, districts where the people do not even understand the language of the land. They are, uh, you take a, a occasional core Texas district in Queens, for example, 55% of it are illegal aliens who should never have been able to vote to begin with. 
Most of them do not read or speak English. They don't even know what the heck she is talking about. All they know is that she's young and she has two Hispanic last names, and so they vote for any of her crazy uh, statements. This is the danger that we are in. I'll be back in a moment. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. I want to settle back now and take a deep breath. What I have given you thus far in this program is immense. I've given you film reviews. I've given you book reviews. I've given you philosophy, poetry, science. And you, my audience who I love dearly, are acting exactly the way Huxley predicted the world would act after it had been brainwashed and drugged into submission. Because I did not say Trump once, or Pelosi once, or Schumer once, or impeachment once, there are no phone calls. Now, I've been in radio for a quarter of a century. People used to call on a wide range of esoteric topics. It's over. People don't call on anything except Donald Trump for or against him. And they are therefore representing what happens in a dictatorship run by the the drug industry and the uh, media industry, which is kind of sad. So would you like me to continue talking about topics such as Aldous Huxley? Because that's all I'm going to talk about. Or would you like me not to talk at all? Because I can do that as well. I'm going to let you decide how you want this show to go. If you're unable to call on the topics that I've given you, ranging from a film review of 1917 to uh, The Brave New World to the sound from the 1958 um, interview with Mike Wallace, uh, you're going to have to call the show in the next hour to make the show work. The phone number is 855-400-7282. 855-400-SAVAGE. Now, while you're thinking about dialing, if you can even get involved anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't think people really want to call shows unless it's the most basic statement about Donald Trump. Donald Trump good, Donald Trump bad. How can a society have devolved to this point? I'll, I, I, I can't say I'll never understand. I do understand it. It's from brainwashing. Why do you think I'm talking about Huxley's predictions about the future? Because we are in that future. Most of you are on medication and you are brainwashed by the media. And you're incapable of discussing virtually anything except the T word. So therefore, where is talk radio going to be in five years of this? Tell me. Grunting? Or sit here and grunt grunt to each other, read ads? The Westwood One Podcast Network. of the spoken word. Welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. Warning. The Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Democracy depends on the individual voter making an intelligent and rational choice for what he regards as his enlightened self-interest in any given circumstance. But what these people are doing, I mean, what both for their particular purposes for selling goods and the dictatorial um, propagandists are doing, is to try to bypass the rational side of man and to appeal directly to these unconscious forces below the surface so that you are, in a way, making nonsense of the whole democratic procedure which is based on conscious choice of, on rational grounds. Aldous Huxley, 1958. Interview by Mike Wallace, great interview, and he talked about technology, drugs, dictatorships, propaganda, and I spent one hour so far on this show, uh, I reviewed the movie 1917, which I disliked, and I told you why, I read reviews from others that didn't like it, told you why, I read all the stories on michaelsavage.com, made comments, and then I read about Huxley, 
and there were no phone calls except one or two, and they were off topic. And I became frustrated, and I said to you, I believe that what's happening right now on this radio show is an example of exactly what's happening in our society, that society has been so brainwashed and drugged that the talk radio audiences in particular are almost incapable of discussing anything except Democrat, Republican, Trump, uh, you name it, one, two, three, and that's it. And for me, it's not worth doing the show if I can't get callers like you, because I know you're out there. I said that to you at the end of the last hour. I'm very upfront with you. In other words, if you've been in a, a medium like this for so long and you see people are not able to discuss a movie, not to discuss a book, not to discuss an interview, what can they talk about? Trump good, Trump bad. Dem socialist, Republicans won the I, What's the point of doing it? Let, leave it to others. That's all they want to do. Let them do it. So what happened is all of a sudden you can't get on the show. The lines are jammed. Did I have to browbeat you into calling the show? Did I have to embarrass you into calling the show? What happened here that all of a sudden this feels like talk radio again? This is interesting to me, uh, and, and, and it, it has deep ramifications. You could almost say Savage gets frustrated with his audience, says the audience is incapable of a discussion outside of Donald Trump and the Democrats, and all of a sudden they're calling on all the topics that he was trying to talk about, like a movie review on the movie night, et cetera, et cetera. It's very interesting to me what's going on, but you are there. So let's take the calls in the order that we have them up here on the Savage Nation, and thank you for calling. Line one, Rob in San Jose, you're listening on KSFO. What's on your mind? Uh, hey, thanks, Michael, for taking the call. Um, I, did, I, was actually, I didn't know. Uh, All right, okay, Rob, Rob, sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, are you on a cell phone or what? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I'm very intrigued by your, uh, your the interview that you know you're putting out there with Wallace and uh, Huxley, you know about pharmacology and everything about you know, behavior modification, about uh, you know basically uh, you know societal developments, and I see it happening today. You know we're trying to be there's all sorts of behavior modification that you could see that that there is um, social engineering. It's a very fascinating. I didn't know that he would consider technological devices way back then. And then yes, yeah, we, see that's that's the point of my digging it up. 1958, Mike Wallace, who was a fabulous interviewer, uh, need I say I'm not a fan of his son, the snide son there, Meatloaf Jr. But let's leave Meatloaf Jr. out of this equation. Fabulous interview with one of the great minds of of all time, uh, a man who's influenced my life deeply because I was terrified when I read Brave the World. Uh, of the thought that in the future babies would be made in a factory and modified as they were developing in the embryo, embryonic stage uh, through chemicals that were inserted into the developing fetus, et cetera. Look where we are today. Are we that far from it, Rob? I don't think so. Well, we're not, you know, and I really think that, um, you know, it's really sad that, that, you know, that people are being propagandized in and and. Like you said, there's one station or a group of stations that's drilling. It's got to be Google, too, though. It's got to be. Oh, absolutely. The demons at these these tech companies, when you see them, do I have to name who they are? They're, they're literally demigods. They're demigods, every one of them. And they, they have total and absolute, almost total and absolute control over the society. But it seems also that there's a consortium of people out there who are positioned in the, all the cities, like, let's say, in California and around the country that are a part of this group think, this sort of top echelon of, of trying to, uh, you know, herd the sheeple along and, uh, and get them dumbed down and, and, and pull the wool over their eyes and get them to work like epsilons. You know, down no, so so you, you read Brave New World, the epsilon thing, yes? The book. I love that book. It's interesting that he has a character in it called Bernard Marx, who was a specialist on hypnopedia. Wasn't that wonderful that he knew who Karl Marx was and he called him Bernard Marx in there? Well, You know, the part of the book that struck me as so appropriate is the Savage Reservation. Do you remember that in the book, Brave in the World? There was so it was, you know, it was uh, such a for a young person to read that. It was mind blowing. And I would love to go back and read it again. I think you should, everyone listening to this show should read Brave New World for the first time or the 10th time and pay it. 
attention particularly to the Savage Reservation, because in many ways we are the Savage Reservation. We're almost the last reservation of people with independent minds left in the media. And I thank you for calling. That's what I'm trying to get at. Do you know how close we are to losing our independence completely, no matter which side you're on? You know how, how, how menial most of the discussions are that we engage in? Do you know how debasing it is to the human mind and consciousness to be so focused on nothingness as politicians? With all the ramifications and the importance of politicians, they're not the be-all and end-all of existence. In fact, most people go about their daily lives and business without paying much attention whatsoever to politicians. A while ago, I read from The Doors of Perception in Heaven and Hell by Alice Huxley. We all know Brave New World. And it's funny, I keep both of these books near me when I do the show. And um, in The Doors of Perception in Heaven and Hell, which was a book he wrote after taking, <coughs> taking a, uh, a mushroom trip, which would be a mescaline, I suppose, he had a whole epiphany. By the way, I met his widow, Laura Huxley, when I was very young. I uh, flew out to Hollywood. I never forget it as long as I live. Photograph of her doorway, the name Huxley on it was magical to me. And I wanted to uh, publish his film scripts, his, his um, un unproduced film scripts. And she had agreed and never worked out. I was young and I was filled with ideas. It was an interesting concept to take all of Huxley's film. Maybe someone will take it and do it. I don't really care. I'm past worrying about what anyone does with my ideas. You know, take them and run with them. So I met with her, and I never forget, I went up to um, Mulholland Drive, which is fascinating to me. As a New Yorker at the time, a guy who lived in Manhattan, uh, to go to Los Angeles. I'm talking about what year, I don't even know, 64, 65, I don't remember the year. And then to drive up on Mulholland Drive and see the house with a swimming pool that looked like it was suspended from the sky itself and meet the kid Juan who was one of the characters in one of the books. It was unbelievable to me to live through that. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So in the book, <clears throat> wait a minute, what did she say to me? I think I could divulge this now that it's coming back to me. I think she published it. I don't know if she only said it to me, Laura Archera Huxley. I think she wrote that she spoke with Aldous after he had passed away through a medium. And uh she told me, or she wrote, and I can't remember which, that uh, mescaline was not what he thought it was. It was not at all what he thought it would be and what he had written about. He was wrong about it. So, you know, that's something interesting is that he was mistaken about how wonderful it was. So in this book, The Doors of Perception, I'll never forget, I read this during the period to make this very political, when um, <clears throat> the Democrats' friends in ISIS were raping, murdering, and blowing things up across the Middle East. You know Bernie Sanders' friends? The, you know, the Democrat Party, the friends of the Democrats, ISIS, the people they love so much. And I, I was sitting watching news stories of them blowing up churches, blowing up artifacts, blowing up Buddhist temples that were 1,400 years old, and I couldn't believe the world would let this go on. I was enraged that the UN was so worthless that they wouldn't stop these Muslim fanatics. And then I referred to when they got to Palmyra, what they had done in Palmyra, and I read from The Doors of Perception. It's only three paragraphs. Huxley wrote about this. And he's talking about Palmyra, one of the great, great, great places on earth that was partly destroyed by the Muslim fanatics in ISIS because it wasn't sufficiently Muslim. And he wrote this, from glass, stained, or cut, we pass to marble and the other stones that take a high polishing can be used in mass. The fascination exercised by such stones may be gauged by the amount of time and trouble spent in obtaining them. At Baalbek, for example, and two or three hundred miles further inland at Palmyra, we find among the ruins columns of pink granite from Aswan. Listen to this now. These great monoliths, were quarried in, upper e quarried in Upper Egypt, were floated in barges down the Nile, were towed across the Mediterranean to Byblos, or Tripolis, and from thence were hauled by oxen, mules, and men uphill to Homs, 
and from Homs southward to Baalbek or cast across the desert to Palmyra. What a labor of giants. And from the utilitarian point of view, how marvelously pointless. But in fact, of course, there was a point. A point that existed in a region beyond mere utility. Polished to a visionary glow, the rosy shafts proclaimed their manifest kinship with the other world. At the cost of enormous efforts, men had transported these stones from their quarry on the Tropic of Cancer, and now, by way of recompense, the stones were transporting their transporters halfway to the mind's visionary antipodes. I've never heard writing like this in my life, nor a vision like this. It's beyond comprehension what we have lost as we have descended into the age of Google. This is The Savage Nation. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. Yeah, welcome back to The Savage Nation. We are jammed with people uh, like yourself who can think and still listen to talk radio and able to discuss something other than Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Democrat or Republican or they have a vocabulary beyond socialism. It's unbelievable to me what's been lost, and I, I, I'm glad you're calling, frankly. Bay Area Helen, Line 7, welcome to the program. Thank you. I have tears in my eyes. It is so, please continue always to speak of poetry and and the world. It's so refreshing to know people have know how to spell Iraq without a K. I, I <laughs> crave that. I live on... Well, that's why I've been talking about Aldous Huxley. You have the, the Deltas and the Gammas who can hardly speak English, who are so filled with themselves... Uh, and the media seems to promote them, the Deltas and the Gammas, don't they? Yes, they do. It's disheartening, but that's why... You, you, you open up a newspaper run by Murdoch, and he has another Delta or Gamma in a, in, 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 in a bikini showing her breasts and her behind. Or lately, we were supposed to be concerned with the abs of a human being, not the cerebrum of a human being. In other words, the most important uh, part of a human being is no longer the mind or the soul, it's the abs. This is the world according to Rupert Murdoch because it sells newspapers and, and it pr produces clicks on websites. This is the madness that Huxley was warning about, Helen. Yes, yes. Well, I'm not going to sit here and lament it. I'm just going to, look, tie it back to my podcast from Friday. Went over, I would say went, went over people's heads. They didn't, they didn't really hear me. I talked about Freud, civilization and his discontents. I talked about psychoanalysis. I talked about suicide amongst males. I try to connect the two. Maybe I failed. Maybe it was my fault. Uh, maybe my seminar was not clearly thought out. Maybe I combined too much at once. But now this one is a different point of view altogether. Now, before we move on, we have a short period of time here. I want you to listen to Huxley uh, on uh, brainwashing of children. Listen to and tell me, listen to this. When you see them bringing in drag queens into the first grade, when you see them trying to brainwash our children into believing there's more than two sexes, you understand how far this society has collapsed because people are cowards and they're afraid of the terrorists, the social engineering terrorists. Listen to 11 and 12. Well, I mean, here, okay, this whole question of children, I think, is a terribly important one because the children are quite clearly much more suggestible than the average grown-up. And uh, I suppose that... Uh, that for one reason or another, all the propaganda was in the hands of one or very few agencies. You would uh, have a, an extraordinarily powerful force playing on these children, who after all are going to grow up and be adults quite soon. Uh, I do think that uh, this is not an immediate threat, but it, it remains a possible threat. And you can read in the, uh, in the trade journals the most lyrical accounts of how necessary it is to get hold of the children, because then they will be loyal brand buyers later on. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, again, the, you just translate this into political terms. The dictator says they will be loyal ideology buyers when they're grown up. All democracies are based on the proposition that power is very dangerous and that it's uh, extremely important not to let any one man or any one small group have too much power for too long a time. After what are the British and American constitutions except devices for limiting power? 
And all these uh, new devices are extremely efficient instruments for the imposition of power by small groups over larger masses. Now that explains how people with very bad intellects, if any intellects whatsoever, do I have to name them? Such as occasional cortex and the entire left-wing brigade of social fascists have gained such a grip on the brainwashed, pharmacologically altered children of America. More when I return on The Savage Nation. Michael Savage, a host like no other. First of all, it's a question of education. Uh, I think it's uh, terribly important to insist on individual values. I mean, what is... Uh, there is a tendency, as um, you probably read a book by White, The Organization Man, a very interesting, valuable book, I think, where he speaks about the new type of group morality, group ethic, which uh, speaks about the group as though the group were somehow more important than the individual. Group morality, group ethics. Was he right or was he wrong? Was he right or was he wrong? Now combine that with Adderall, Ritalin, Adderall, whatever else they've been throwing at our children for 10 years now, and what you have is a complete generation of zombies. Not only do they not know their own history, they don't know the history of their own people, their own family. They don't know anything about America, what made America. All they know is the garbage that the communists in the school system have put into their undeveloped brains. And as a result, you have people like Bernie Sanders who can come along, again, the most dangerous man in the history of American politics, precisely because he looks harmless. Remember, if he was a flaming communist, which is what he is, and he screamed and yelled on the platform instead of making himself look like a feeble old man from New York who just wants the goodness for society and the goodness for mankind. Uh, he isn't that. He is the most dangerous man in American political history. How else can you explain, uh, I'm going to jump to politics for one minute, that a man like Bernie Sanders would thank the most phenomenal anti-Semite Jew-hater in history, Rashida Talab. Listen to clip number one. Listen to the madness of this man. I wanted to thank Rashida Talib for doing that exactly. What she and other members of the so-called squad are doing is every day, because I know these guys and they're out there fighting, what Rashida is doing Stop right every there. day. Now here's a guy who was not Jewish when he started to appear on the national stage. He said he had no religion. Then his handlers told him, you better identify as a Jew. You'll get some traction amongst the liberal Jews who were suicidal by and large. Then he declared he was Jewish. Uh, and now he's supporting a phenomenal anti-Semite who hates Jews and hates Israel in order to appeal to the Muslim vote, especially those of the type that would appeal, uh, that would be of some interest to this uh, T-Lab character. So as again, I'm telling you, you know, you're playing, I'm playing Huxley here, I'm talking about drugs, I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about propaganda, I'm talking about a brainwashed generation, that he could get away with this and not be roundly condemned in every synagogue in the United States of America? What does that tell you about the liberal Jewish community? You know, if you go into a reform synagogue in America, you look at the people, they look like nice people. Most of them are nice, kind people. At least they think they are. And they hate Donald Trump with a vengeance that you cannot comprehend. You go in a reform temple, a Jewish temple, and they think Donald Trump is, 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 is a descendant of Adolf Hitler, who hates the Jewish people when he has done more for the Jewish people than any president in American history. How did that happen? How can the reform, the liberal Jewish people, many of whom are successful business people, doctors, lawyers, how can they be so brainwashed as to believe Donald Trump is their enemy when he is the opposite? How did they get there? How did they arrive there? Where was the countdown to this level of stupidity uh, and insanity? How did the Jewish people end up like that? I don't have a direct answer for you. I can give speeches on it, but it won't change one vote. 
I'm afraid that some people are so lost they can never be found. And uh, in, in my estimation, unfortunately, too many of them are in the places I just mentioned. Now let's go back to the bigger picture here, the philosophy of the unbrave new world in which we find ourselves, where a American hater, Israel hater, Jew hater like Bernie Sanders can pretend to be a lover of of very things he hates and yet support one of the most vicious anti-Semites in American political history. It's astounding that he gets away with it. Every rabbi in every synagogue in this country should condemn Bernie Sanders for supporting this Rashida Tlaib, and yet you will not hear one word in one reform temple across the entire American landscape saying what I just said. Instead, they will attack Donald Trump while eating their bagels and locks on Saturday morning. That's the sad truth. Is it any different in a Catholic church today? Tell me, is it any different in a uh, Episcopalian church today? Tell me, is it any different in any church today except the most fundamentalist churches who know what reality is and know what America is made of? The men and women who create the children who fight our wars, they know what reality is. It's their children who go to war. It's their children who fight for our freedom. They've not been brainwashed. And yet the opposite, the opposition, are the ones who have been brainwashed. So let's go to the callers on the Savage Nation. I'm so happy that you heard me. Let's jump to the review I gave of the uh, movie 1917. And I want to hear what this man has to say. He seems to like the film. I didn't. I walked out after 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, Richard in Colorado, line five. Go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks for, very much for taking my call. I, I did see the film yesterday, and, they, there is, and I did like it. And there, was a, there is, however, a way I can tie this into Huxley. I came into the office this morning, the receptionist, a millennial, asked me what I, what I did this week. And I said I took my wife to see a film called 1917. And she said, well, well, was it any good? And I started to extol what I thought was good about the film. And she turned to her computer. She hit a few keys, and her attention went from me to the screen. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm going to Rotten Tomatoes to see how many people liked the film <laughs> and how many didn't. I said, but I'm, I'm somebody you know. I'm standing right in front of you, and I'm telling you something about the film. But you're going to your computer screen to, to, to find out about the film. When I'm so what you're saying is she was an example, this millennial of groupthink. She didn't know what to think. She had to see what was correct to think. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I was intrigued by the film for the following reason. I'm an old Marine infantryman. And infantrymen love to see the different eras, of how the infantry lived, what, what they carried in their packs, and all that stuff. But here's the intriguing thing about the film. I wish he had stayed longer. It was one continuous shot. I know. Okay, so now we're going to get into the technology or the techniques of filmmaking, which I'm totally appreciative of, but I'm not there as a film, uh, excuse me, a film college student learning how to make a movie. And this is why the Academy liked the movie so much, because from a movie-making point of view, they love it from a movie-making point of view. But from an audience point of view... I found it to be a tedious, unrelenting horror show. Mm. You see what I mean? I, I, see, I, I, in other words, from the point of view of technology or technique, rather, I understand what you're saying. I've read, I've read similar reviews, the single shot, the single camera. But as, as a guy who was not a former combat Marine, who's not interested in what he carried on his back that much, I didn't see character development. I didn't see plot development. Uh it was a relentless display of the horrors of trench warfare, which I, I just wasn't interested in. But I certainly love the cogent remarks that you made on the uh, uh, Savage Nation. And there's another element to 1917 I may as well mention since we're talking about the movie for one more minute. The whole premise of the plot is that the general tells these two doughboys to go out and go through enemy lines against all odds and reach a kind of lost battalion of 1,600 men who had been ordered to attack a German line, and they're now supposed to be told not to attack but to retreat, and they'd all be wiped out. So you're supposed to believe that even in, in 1917, they had no other way of communicating 
with this lost battalion that was going to run to their doom into the German machine guns unless they were told to retreat. Uh, let's put our thinking caps on. Let's start with they had biplanes on both sides in the war. And one of our pilots could have just flown over to the Americans who were in this lost battalion and dropped the canister with the message, hey, boys, don't attack the German lines. You'll be wiped out. Immediately retreat. Come on back. Why didn't they use a biplane? The plot made no sense. Or if that doesn't work for you, uh, how about a carrier pigeon? They were using these poor little pigeons to deliver messages. See, long before texting, there were pigeons. <laughs> and before pigeons, there were smoke signals. So there were other ways to communicate other than two schmendricks who had to kill themselves to go through an enemy line to deliver a message. The whole thing didn't make sense. It was excruciating to sit through it because it made no sense. And then there was no character development. The two guys were not that interesting to me. All right. So, look, to each his own. If you enjoyed it, I have no axe to grind, uh, whether you go to it or don't go to it. It's only a, a film review. My other tweet was Chris Wallace is a snake, a snide hollow man, always trying to escape his father's legacy, which was not really magnificent. Chris Wallace is a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a true investigative reporter. Now, that triggered an enormous response on my Twitter feed. And in that response, someone said, yeah, but his father, Michael Wallace, did a great interview with Aldous Huxley. And I looked it up, and that's why I'm doing this show today. So I'm telling you, I learn, even from Twitter, I get some very intelligent people who, who tweet. Not everyone's a dummy, you know, on social media. And some people do know uh, what, what's what and who's who and how how. So I, I want to thank those of you who mentioned the Mike Wallace interview for uh, keying us uh, to that today. So before I take a quick break, let's take another quick call on the Savage Nation, South Carolina, Mario, Line 9. Go ahead. You're up on the uh, Savage Nation. Yes, hello. Hi there. Hi. I was just calling. Oh, sorry, I had to take off speakerphone. Um, I just love that you're talking about Aldo Hugsley. Um, you know, Brave New World, it seemed, was a big warning to us because his family, um, kind of in cahoots with the Dar Darwins, were about eugenics and controlling people and controlling the masses. And it ties into so much of the things that you've been talking about, like the people leaving religion and having no God and replacing government with God and this whole idea of, of these people, these power players. Well, well, I think you mean, you mean replacing God with government, right? That's right. Yes, sir. Yes. And see, you see, don't think I don't listen to my callers. Yes, we've replaced God with government. We've gone from one G to another G, and, and government, as you well know, is about as imperfect as it can get because government is only man. And as you well know, governments will tend to take as much power as they can grab from the people. Now you say, well, okay, let, let, but then people say, yeah, but come on, the church also controlled people and made them into servants, which is true. But modern Christianity is not medieval Christianity. That's the thing I'm trying to get across in my discussion, I think only religion can save America. That's my personal belief system. I think there's more rationality in modern religion than there is in government. But what, what is your main topic? Well, my main topic was that, um, you know, Aldo Huxley wrote Brave New World as a, as a warning because, because of his forefathers wanting to dabble in eugenics and mind control and control the masses. And um, there's, there's some uh, t uh, articles about um, them and the Darwins inbreeding and, like, trying to strengthen their bloodlines and kind of really weird stuff. Uh, wait, wait, sir. Let's stop for a minute. Do you know a family that doesn't want to strengthen their bloodline? In other words, no. I, it sounds to me like you have a child near you. Is that correct? I, I had to get, get away from it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. When you selected a wife or your wife selected you, did she select someone who she thought would be a strong father and an intelligent father or a feeble-minded loser? Oh, obviously she selected. Oh, so she practiced eugenics, as did you. In fact, most rational marriages are based upon a sort of uh, uh, eugenics, don't you think? Somewhat, but not, not with inbreeding. <laughs> Okay, okay, you got me there. Marrying your first cousin, I get it. I, we don't live in, in those kinds of societies for good reason because it's a genetic uh, uh, dead end. It's a genetic cul-de-sac. Take a look what it did to the royal family back in a minute. 
home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. can almost summarize the entire show today to one question, which is, is freedom necessary? There seems to me that an entire, it seems to me that an entire generation has grown up in this country fearing freedom, not wanting freedom, eschewing freedom, wanting the state to take control of their lives, which is why they want socialism. They want a government uh, to be their parents. That's what the appeal is to them. If you read Brave in the World, remember there were sayings as the, ch- as the embryos and the children were being first the embryos, then the, as they emerged, the children were being brainwashed. They constantly saw propaganda with signs and billboards uh, which said things such as freedom is slavery as they lived in this automated society that would think for them. So just like that caller who said, when he mentioned to this millennial at work, he saw the movie 1917, and she said, I don't know what I think of it. Let me look it up on, on the Internet. To her, freedom is slavery. She doesn't know what to think. She'd rather be uh, a slave, a slave to Google, a slave to the iPhone. This is the exact danger that Huxley warned us about. And it's all in the hands, when you think about it, of people like the character who runs Apple, a very dangerous dictatorial type, uh, which we can go into at another time. There's too much power and too few hands. A rational government would break up these big tech companies. It's never going to happen. I saw this a long time ago. They've been in and out of this White House. Sorry to tell you, it looks to me like deals were made with some of these guys in ways I will never, ever know or understand. Uh, And as a result, there will be no breakup of big tech, which is a disaster for humanity. Uh, I guess that's the concluding remarks of today's program uh, on the Savage Nation. How do I summarize it? I don't know what the title is. I think it's something like Aldous Huxley predicted the world we would live in. Drugs, brainwashing, tech, fascism to be discussed today on the Savage Nation radio program with original sound of Alice Huxley. If you missed any of the program today, you can get it later on on the podcast, which can be found at michaelsavage.com, Apple Podcasts of all places, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Westwood One Podcast Network.